0: Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions, because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning, one and all. Frank
1: Proctor here, the sous chef of the garden. On a cloudy Saturday, uh, as we welcome in the warm-hearted little devil who (laughs) resides in a lovely spot there in Prince Edward County. Good morning, Charlie Dobbin.
2: And good morning, Franklin Proctor. Uh, So a little bit gray at your place, a little bit gray at my place.
1: And too darn cold for my liking. You know, I just looked at the forecast here, and I can't believe Here it is, what, the 17th of April? Hmm. We're going to a high of 13 today, that's all. But then. Oh, you're spoiled. Well, yeah, but. Oh, my man. Uh, Three degrees is a high tomorrow. No, wait a minute. 15, 15 tomorrow. But through the rest of the week, then it just drops. High of 7 on Tuesday, on Wednesday, (laughs) high of plus 5. What's going on, Charlie? Come on.
2: It's it's called spring in Ontario or spring in the northern hemisphere. I mean, think about it. They've been getting snow. They had some crazy snowstorm in, in Alberta. So, like, look on the bright side. We had that nice little blip of super early, unexpected warmth, yeah, yeah. which really popped a lot <laughs> of bulbs and flowering trees and got us so excited for spring, and now we're back to normal. Back this to
0: is, normal, okay.
2: <laughs> this is the way it's supposed to be.
1: I and see- it was
2: great. The rain was great.
1: <laughs> I, I am chastised. Alright, alright. Hey, what's going on at your place?
2: Oh my goodness gracious, so much. Um, it's it's uh, pretty, it's exciting for me. It's my first spring here after mm-hmm. installing an awful lot of plants and lawns and trees and shrubs and bulbs and all kinds of things last fall. So it's been, uh, you know, every day's a new day here. Um, Elliot and I spent, oh, it's, uh, we're like um, we're like a chain gang when we get going, right? Because <laughs> this is a big property. <laughs> so I don't want a whole bunch of weeds to move into my lawn. My lawn looks very, very good, but right. it does have some thin spots. There was a little bit of erosion when the seeds were put down. It was hydro-seeded seeded last fall, so mm-hmm. like a big machine like a big can and blue seed and paper and water out onto my my land a lot of the seed came up but some erosion happened as well so we are top dressing and overseeding and he like he's hauling the soil i'm raking the soil fertilizing and then the sun's going down i put my little headlamp on and <laughs> i'm out there putting seed down by by flashlight because rain was coming right it's all you know work with the weather
1: exactly. Okay, you know what? I better another the, vision for you. Right, has, I better get the, the phone dark. numbers on the air here, okay, uh, in order for folks to reach you. Although, as I'm looking at our monitor, we've got uh, folks lined up already. But just in case for a little bit later on here, folks, in Toronto, you want to reach Charlie, ask your question. Here's the number, 416-360-0740. And then anywhere in the province, it is toll-free, 4, seven forty. Hey, have you heard from some of your pals at uh, the Horticultural Societies lately? Uh,
2: good question. I was just going to say, I do have a couple of announcements. So next uh, 27th, so the 27th is Tuesday, yeah. April 27th, the Hamilton and Burlington Rose Society via Zoom will be presenting Anna Leggett at 7 p.m. on the subject of Clematis, A Perfect Companion for Roses. Everybody is welcome. Very simply, send an email to HB Rose Society. That's one word. HB, BS and Bob, Rose Society at simpatico.ca to get the Zoom uh, invite. And also another group is the Alliston Garden Club. They are very much like wanting people to, to get involved in their club. So for more information, uh, because you will have to purchase a membership if you'd like to attend their meetings, only $15 a year, which is like the best $15 you'll ever spend, contact Alliston Garden Club 1925 at gmail.com. Their first meeting is coming up April 27th as well. And they have a speaker, Christine March, a master gardener, speaking on daylilies. So lots going on in the horticultural world. Stay connected.
1: Okay. Oh, that little bell. I, I forgot to make mention that if you're a first-time caller, by all means, mention that to Carlos, our operator. He'll pass the word to me and then... You'll hear that just before you get to the airwaves, get your garden wings. Yeah, call early call often. and one question per call. As a matter of fact, we're going to go to the phone lines in a moment. Going international, right off the bat, going to have a, a word or two with Jim calling in from Buffalo, New York. So that's coming up with Charlie Dobbin on The Garden Show.
0: Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio.
1: All righty, and some of those garden tips will be passed along to Jim calling in from Buffalo, New York. Well, good morning, Jim. Welcome to the show. Well,
3: thank you. Good morning to you, too. Good morning. Okay.
1: Yeah, go ahead, Jim. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, we can. Go right ahead, Jim.
3: Okay, I have a problem that I created last year. I have a city lot, and I had 74 tomato plants. That was not a problem. All my neighbors get free tomatoes. But I also had planted on a small lot, a small little piece of the property, uh, cucumbers, bell peppers, and banana peppers, which was no problem usually. But last year, I planted three heads of cauliflower, which killed everything in that plot. Now, my <laughs> question is, can I plant anything in that plot again after those cauliflowers are gone? huh, that's
2: unusual. I've no. never heard of cauliflower just eating or killing something. Um, but maybe it was just too crowded. Remember, uh <clears throat> vegetables, many vegetables need sun, they need air, they need, you know, all that penetration of the sun and the air to truly be healthy. What I would do, is, and I would recommend this to anybody, whether they had problems last year or not, is rotate your crops. So whatever you planted, like you mentioned, peppers, et cetera, Do not plant anything in that same small plot in the corner that is of the same family as what you grew there last year. So don't do any of the the cauliflowers or or the broccolis and don't do any of the tomatoes or peppers or eggplants because those are all the same family. Instead, consider maybe some beans or peas in that area or some carrots or, or something just completely different. And uh, as long as there's you know, minimum of six hours of direct sun every day, good quality, fertile soil, you should be fine.
1: Okay. Oh, wow, that was uh, weird, huh? The, the case of the killer cauliflower. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Nancy Drew mystery brought like, to you by Frank Proctor. That's right. Okay, got an email here from Jack Joseph. says, uh, Dear Charlie, I enjoy listening to your show every Saturday morning. have a lawn question. Moved into a house in North Toronto a few months ago. Now that the snow's all uh, melted, I've enclosed a picture of what my front lawn looks like. My question is, by mixing some high-quality grass seed with black earth topsoil, spreading it out and then watering it daily, will my lawn turn green and lush? Also, do I need to spread fertilizer, when and what type? And if so, should I be doing this now or wait till the warmer weather arrives?
2: Right. So there's a one question per emailer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or <laughs> or <laughs> multi as the case may be. But note that the, the date on this email was 2 weeks ago. Yeah. So that's why we hadn't hit that warm blip. But the photo is great. I'm really, really glad that Jack sent the photograph because the questions he's asking is kind of yes to all of them. However, you look at the photograph, you can see he's got a narrow front yard. He's showing me the side edge of his driveway. He has a small tree in his front yard and then a walkway up to the front door and a sidewalk at the front. And if you look, you can see that right now, the level of his soil where the lawn was because there's not much lawn there right now is quite a bit higher than the sidewalk and the driveway and that's going to be his problem. He can add all the soil he wants in the world and seed and fertilizer and water and it's all just going to run right off onto the sidewalk and driveway and that's partly what's going on there. So If I were you, I would be uh, looking more closely at that grade. If necessary, you may want to bring some of that soil down by scraping it off the top and moving it to another part of the the yard so that you don't have that big difference between the sidewalk, driveway, and lawn. I see the trunk of the tree. I don't know which side of the house we're on here, but it looks to me like the tree might be providing an awful lot of shade, which is partially what's causing the, the grass to not thrive as well. So <clears throat> take a look at it, sort of stand back, go across the road, stand at your neighbors and say to yourself, can I grow grass there? Can I get six four to six hours of direct sunlight on that spot? If so, sure, go for it. Scrape it down, level it out, fluff it up a bit, You know, make sure it looks like good quality soil. If it's not, scrape it down even more and bring in some better soil just so that you're you're going to be above, there's no question, you're going to be above the sidewalk, because the roots of those trees, I'm sure, uh, of that tree is is going to impact your final grade. But um, but be careful of the bark of the tree. It almost looks like it's been a bit chewed up by uh, whippersnippers, so don't be hitting the tree with a whippersnipper. As a matter of fact, don't even try and grow lawn at the base of the tree. Just make that a little mulch uh, crescent around the tree. Otherwise, you're going to kill it. I can see some of the bark is missing. And... Maybe even consider just a shade-tolerant ground cover. Forget the grass entirely if it's that shady. Put some pachythandra down. Pacassandra or sweet woodruff, both of them are lovely, easy-care, evergreen ground covers that will handle the shade. So... You know, you, you, do, you have lots of options here, but, but it all starts with the grade.
1: Okay, all sorts of good options offered up by Charlie Dovin, our master gardener. And, uh, Charlie, we have to take a little bit of a break here, but coming back to uh, welcome first-time caller Terry in from Hamilton. I'll be reaching for that bell in moments here on The Garden Show.
0: Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All
1: righty, Charlie. Frankie's reaching for that bell. There you go. And that's for Terry calling in from Hamilton. Good morning, Terry.
3: Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I listen all the time. Um, My question for you today, I have a fairly large hibiscus tree, which I have never had any troubles with. It's still blooming beautifully, Um, but I noticed that it's staying pretty limp after I water it. So then under closer observation, I see that it has some tiny spider webs on the end, which I'm assuming are spider mites. So what is the best way to get rid of this and prevent it from spreading to my other houseplants? Mm-hmm. So the webbing you're seeing, is it, you said, on the
2: tips of the leaves or is it in it's, the crotches between the stems and the leaves?
3: It, um, it is in the stems, like in the, in the crooks, but it's also around the new buds. Oh,
2: yeah, that's a pretty good infestation one there at that point. Uh, that's a very tough one, Terry. I wish I had the perfect answer for you. Um, Spider mite are very difficult to eliminate. They are tiny. They are little tiny spiders, and they suck the juices from tropical plants. Hibiscus is one of their favorites because it is sweet. It's a nice-tasting plant, and uh, they will tend to you know, go to that one uh, for that reason. We find them, they, they'll emerge from, I don't even know where, in the middle of winter usually inside our homes when it's dry because they, they thrive in low humidity. The more humid the environment, the fewer spider mites you'll ever see. At this point, definitely isolate it from your other plants if you can, so it's not close by. They don't fly. They have no wings, but they can jump, and they can also travel on you. So if you're checking your hibiscus and then you move over 20 other plants, you can transfer the spider mites that way. So just be very careful. You've got real isolation. Um, Okay, there's no guarantees this will work, but this is what I would do in this situation because you love this plant and you want to try and save it. You're going to have to cut it back very hard. A radical pruning, um, again, in an isolated situation with a green garbage bag handy, uh, say, I don't know how tall it is, say it's four or five feet tall, you're going to bring that tree right down to the point where you have very few leaves left on it, but you're going to leave some leaves. Um, You're going to balance out your, your cutting back sharp pruners everything you cut off is going to be cut and immediately into the green garbage bag um you're going to bring that tree like right down it's going to be much smaller but it's still going to have a bit of green leaves on it i do this in the bathroom if you can because then into the bathtub it goes and you're going to give it a serious soap and water um wash down now not detergent but soap so you can buy safer soap which is designed as an insecticide, or you can get a hold of actual soap, it's gotta be soap, and you're gonna mix, if you are doing your own mix, a 40 to one water to soap ratio, and you're gonna spray this plant until it's dripping. So all 360 degrees, up, down, everywhere, dripping the water off. Let the, the soapy water sit there for about 30 minutes. You're gonna wash it off with clean water, and then you're gonna keep that plant isolated. You Do that soap drench to the entire plant every seven days for about the next three to four weeks and you're going to always rinse it off with clean water a half an hour later if possible after the soap drench get the plant into a sunny spot so it can live the, the rest of the week in fairly optimal conditions and keep a really close eye um, that's really your only way that uh, that i know of that you can have any hope of killing those spider mites
3: Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, thank okay. you for joining us, Terry. Good luck with that. Yeah, it's tough. It's a, the, they're, a, they're
1: a tough ones. All the very best with that. Um, yeah. Have a, have, oh, our old friend Maureen Boyce uh, uh-huh. obviously recognizes that I'm partial to alliteration, says, <laughs> I've decided to dally with dahlias. <laughs> She's got some beautiful cactus dahlias to plant. Could I get a head start on blooms by planting them in an above-ground planter uh, this April? I, I thought I would cover it with clear Press plastic to create a sort of greenhouse effect. What do you think, Charlie? Well, and
2: again, this is an email from two weeks ago, so for all we know, Maureen actually did this, and, and of course, we did have that blip of super warm weather, so for sure dallying with the dahlias outside <laughs> in the, in the uh, raised planter would work. Also notice the temperatures, as you pointed out, that are coming later this week. And the dahlias will not like those cold temperatures. This is a tropical plant that will die if it is exposed to anything below about one degree Celsius. So I I wouldn't have planted them outside. If she did, then they're there. Um, Certainly the plastic idea as a sort of mini greenhouse is fine. Of course, you don't want to cook plants. So if they're under plastic or under glass, and the sun is shining down, just make sure that that, um, there is some air circulation to keep them cool because the air can get extremely hot if they're sealed in under plastic or glass. Now, with the cold weather coming, I would uh, get a blanket out, and I would be turning that little mini greenhouse that she may have started with plastic into a blanketed mini greenhouse overnight for these nights these cold nights that are coming and try and maintain some of the heat now first i'm saying let the air in so it's not too hot in there but now i'm saying okay seal it up and hold the heat in so it's not too cold Um, and that's always the challenge at this time of year we've got ups and downs in our temperatures and plants are pretty picky about what they like and what they don't like so you, you know, you do have to stay on top of that and have, have a thermometer in your hand at all times. Or, if Maureen, if you did plant them out into that raised uh, uh, planter, put a little thermometer out there so you can monitor what the actual temperature is that they are at, and that gives you a better idea of when to open them up, when to close them down.
1: Very good. Okay. Um... Uh, just for a uh, note, uh, we do have a line open right now. So if you've been waiting for a chance to call in and talk to Charlie Dobbin, by all means, now would be a good time in Toronto, 416 And anywhere in the province, as a matter of fact, toll free, 1 866 740 4740. But back to the lines we go to say good morning to Elizabeth. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth.
3: Good morning. I I have a question, one. I'm going to have to dig up my garden uh, because of a move this time of year. And I'm wanting to know if it's possible to transplant some of my plants, particularly the um, um, verbena, uh, iris, um, my bulbs, um, various things like that. Hmm.
2: So you're actually moving house. It's, it's not staying, the plants aren't staying on the property, they're leaving to another property? Yes. Okay, uh, yes, definitely you can do, You can move any of those plants. Um, the bulbs, of course, are probably blooming right now, and it is very difficult to move bulbs when they're blooming. So what I would do, what's your deadline on, on digging stuff up?
3: About a month.
2: Yeah, so leave the bulbs as long as you possibly can. Uh, preferably, hopefully they will be finished flowering in that month. And when you um, are going to dig them to move them, all you're going to do is dig them, uh, lay them down onto some spread out newspaper because there will be you know, leaves still attached and roots attached and they'll be covered in moist soil and let them just dry down on that newspaper for a day or two. Um, at that point, if you can just bundle them all up in that newspaper, take them to the new home, and lay that newspaper back out again, not in the sun, in, a, in an open spot where there's no rain, but no direct sunlight. And again, just let them dry down. You'll find that the green leaves, everything will turn yellow, the soil will dry up, and they will be in a good condition to be replanted, but no rush, you can replant them in August. The other plants you'll be digging up and actually putting into pots so, make sure you've got some pots. Uh, things like irises are, are very easy to transplant. Again, you can just wrap them up in newspaper if you want, as long as you know where they're going at the other end and get them planted as soon as you get there. Verbena, easy into a pot. And again, sit on those pots until you know where they're going in the new place. Put them in a spot where they're, they're getting, you know, sun some, sun, some shade, and of course, water as required. You will need to get everything in the ground before winter.
1: Okay. Thank what you about very much. The
2: We're being the same thing. Just get it in a pot, pot and take it. Thank you very much.
1: Okay, Elizabeth, and good luck welcome. with the move. Boy, that could be a yeah, stressful time, can it not? Oh, <laughs> Moving. Oh, as, me. as you know, yeah. <laughs> who who knows better than you? Cares. Right. <laughs> have a note here from Ann Cavanaugh. Says, says, um, hello, Charlie, I have a recipe for weed and grass killer, one gallon white vinegar, one cup of table salt, plus one tea, a tablespoon liquid dish soap. Now, she says, is it okay to use liquid dish detergent or does it have to be liquid soap to be effective? All she sees on shelves is the liquid dish detergent. I don't think that's the right stuff to use.
2: All right. So this is a good question. Uh, First, two things. First thing is, there is a difference between soap and detergent. Mm -hmm. Um, When we're using uh, this product as an insecticide, you must use soap. Soap is always going to be better because it does not have emulsifiers in it uh which means that it is stickier soap is stickier on plants on bugs on everything than detergent is detergent just slides right off so whenever possible purchase soap and as i mentioned to um uh one of our other callers you know you can always to terry Worst case, go to a garden center and buy safer soap or buy it online. That way you know you're getting soap. However, I don't like the sounds of this recipe. I'm really not a big fan of homemade recipes at the best of times. But notice what those ingredients are. White vinegar, table salt, and soap. And a cup of table salt in a gallon of vinegar sounds toxic. So, yep, I bet that'll kill grass and weeds, and I bet it'll kill just what anything else it touches (laughs) And the bottom line, the worst part is it will have residual um, value in the soil in a bad way. That salt will make your soil uh, poisonous. You'll have trouble growing anything for a number of years unless you can really wash this through. So that's the thing, right? You use something like this. You kill what's bugging you, like whether it's weeds or whatever it is that you don't want. But then you've got to run a ton of water afterwards, to neutralize the vinegar and the salt and get that soap washed through. So, you know, up to you there. I'm a pretty big fan of just pulling weeds or smothering weeds. Uh, and then there are a, a few products out there that uh, are you know supposed to work if you follow the directions properly. I would never put salt where I plan to plant something in the future.
1: Okay, good advice. I, I know, I was gonna say, I think, I know. <laughs> <laughs> After all, it comes from Charlie Dobbin, what can I tell you? Um, <laughs> I have a note here. Uh, oh, I, I know what it is. I'm just looking at the name of our person who is on the monitor and uh, do online right now. I believe this is the same Anna who we kind of left stranded at the end of the show last week. Hello. So oh, I, right. I, 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 let me confirm that. Is that you, Anna?
2: Yes, it is me. Well, that's uh, good. My... I'm glad you got back in. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. you. Thank you. Um, yes, uh, so my question, while well, I have a million questions. Um, but my mother, well, she has an apricot tree in her backyard and, um, she tells me like, um, she broke her arm too. So I'm going to try and help her. Um, she, uh, says that like, they will start to like, the buds will come out and then the cold weather like will change, like, just like we have now. And, um, she will get no, uh, no, no produce, no fruit. Right. And does that damage the tree? How could you protect? Um, tree- well, that's something we, a late spring frost is something we cannot control. And frankly, think of the, the orchards, like think of the commercial growers. There's absolutely nothing you can do when a fruit tree is in bloom and, and you know, or, or um, fairly um, mature bud, and then we get a serious cold snap, you know, late spring frost. And those buds get frozen off, and you're absolutely right. There are no flowers. There's no pollination. There's no fruit. Ultimately, it does not <coughs> excuse me hurt the tree, but
3: uh-huh. it
2: will limit your harvest for that year. You'll have no fruit, and if you were relying on this fruit to, as your livelihood, you would be in you know deep trouble. And this has happened, and, and you know it's not it's not normal to happen, but it certainly does happen every now and then. So, uh, in the case of your mom. <clears throat> As long as she's got, she can see the buds are happening. I mean, fruit trees are a lot more work than people realize. Number one, they need to be pruned properly early, early in the spring. So if you haven't pruned your fruit trees now, get at it. You should have been doing it a month ago during dry weather, pruning so they're open for sun and air um, circulation. And they are also very prone to insects and diseases. So Mm. dormant spray, get a hold of a dormant kit. Mix up the oil, the lime sulfur, pay attention to all the instructions and spray when the conditions are right. That will help the the tree be healthier in terms of the fruit it does produce. And then as it begins to flower, there's nothing you can do at that point. You leave it alone, no spraying, no no pruning, no nothing, and enjoy the flowers and hope for pollination. In the case of apricots, they'll they'll self-pollinate. And um and then uh, be out there with your bushel basket, again, hopefully picking the, the wonderful fruits uh, and, ha- and the harvest in July and August. But, um, yeah, it, it, in terms of losing the flower buds from a frost, there's nothing you can do. Nothing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, Thanks you're welcome. Thank you for your call. But, you. but I'll tell you, Frank, yeah. one of the things that if I mentioned, you know, commercial growers, the same thing happens at the end of the season where we get an early frost. And think of the grape growers, and there they are with, you know, millions of dollars worth of grapes that are supposed to become millions of dollars worth of wine, and then there's a big frost, and they spend tons of money, tens of thousands of dollars on helicopters to come and stir the air so that the grapes do not get frosted. So, yeah, I mean, Anna's mom could always bring in a helicopter and get that (laughs) air circulating so that the frost doesn't hurt her tree, but I do doubt she's going
1: to do that. Yeah. As, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, in, in France, they had a terrible uh, frost and yeah. just millions and millions of dollars in damage. Oh, mm-hmm. um,. I want the attention of Alicia in Buffalo. I'm going to deal with your email. Actually, uh, she sent two questions, so we'll deal with one and then hold the other one. If I can get it in the remainder of the show, fine. If not, we'll be dealing with it next week. But Alicia, your question comes by for Charlie to solve in moments here on The Garden Show.
3: Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks,
1: tulips and
0: sweetwilliams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio.
1: Well, Charlie, as you know, uh, Alicia sent you some pictures uh, mm-hmm. for you to have a peek at. She says, is it too late to spray my apricot tree? If not, what spray do you recommend?
2: Right. So this is perfect because our last caller was Anna, whose mom had an apricot tree. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she was kind of asking the same question. Again, just to note for our listeners, this email was, uh, is about two weeks old. So the photograph that Alicia has sent of the, the apricot tip, so she sent me a, a picture of a stem showing me the buds and the flower bud at the tip, which was starting to, to show color, a little bit pink. Probably now that those flowers are either wide open or at least open and maybe finished, so do not ever, ever spray a fruit tree when it is flowering. There, is a, there are laws against that, actually. You can get thrown in jail... If you spray a fruit tree in flower because it's insects that do the pollination and pollinating of fruit trees for us to get some fruit. You get out there with some insecticides and you're killing the little pollinators and that's a very bad idea. So there there are laws that say you are not allowed to spray any fruit trees when in flower. So, Alicia, assuming you're either... Finish flowering or, um, you know, wait until you are finished flowering. She sent me a photograph. Now, she's in Buffalo, so Mm -hmm. or I'm interpreting she's in Buffalo. Maybe her last name is Buffalo. It's hard to say. But she has sent uh, some fairly old uh, insecticidal spray photographs. One is, and they're all oil sprays. So she's got, and I can't exactly see all the fine details, but uh, all of them are oil-based. Now, oil... Horticultural oil is a very light oil that is used on dormant plants in the spring or the fall to coat the plant. So dormant, meaning no leaves, no flowers. Coat the bark and and twigs and branches of a plant, a tree, a shrub, a rose, anything like that, with the oil. And that oil excuse me, sticks to the bark. And if there's any insects, whether they're eggs that have overwintered or they're living insects or pupated insects, whatever it is, They get smothered by the oil. It's the same principle as the soap we were talking about earlier. Soap kills insects by smothering them. Oil does the same thing. So any of these three oils that Alicia is showing me in the photograph could work. The main thing is read all your instructions on these packages. One is a neem oil. And, of course, neem oil is promoted as both an insecticide and a fungicide. Your apricot tree needs that. It needs both a fungicide and an insecticide. So... Depending on where your tree is, and do not uh, do any spraying, if in flower, post-flower, perhaps. Read the instructions on all these different uh, oil packages that you've got. If you haven't sprayed anything, pl- do your best to spray at least one of them, uh, but do it based on the instructions and where your tree is right now, all right? It's uh, it's a bit challenging because we've got to be on these things at the right time in order to prevent problems in the future.
1: Okay. I'm just thinking of folks who want to ask you a question and realize that a photograph would be most helpful in helping you answer it. So here's Charlie's uh, email address, Mm -hmm. c.dobbin, that's d-o-b-b-i-n at mzmedia.com. And back to the phone lines we go to say, Hi, it's Stuart calling in from Dundas, Ontario. Good morning, Stuart. How are you doing? Great, thank you.
0: Morning.
4: Well, I have a uh, my property is about half an acre. It it faces north and south. Mm-hmm. And uh, my west side there's trees along the far side of the west side. Um but it's created there the the, uh, the the grass is all gone and it's completely mossed over and mm-hmm. uh Right down the whole side of the property, it's kind of spreading in the backyard uh, mm-hmm. where there is no, uh, there really are no overhanging trees. Mm-hmm. So the the, the, the uh, south facing, but it's the west side, mm-hmm. and uh, it's basically wiped out all of the grass completely over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I put some triple mix on it and some um, some grass seed that's supposed to be more tolerant of uh, shade. And it doesn't do well.
2: Right. <clears throat> right. So the interesting thing about moss is that um, it can grow. There's many different kinds of mosses. So they can the different kinds grow in different conditions. Generally, when I think of moss, I think, well, there are certain conditions that support moss. One is shade. The other is poor drainage, so moist soil that's poorly drained. And the other is a low pH or an acidic soil. Um, I did do a little bit of research because this question came up a month or two ago with somebody else, and it was. Um, it turns out there are, there's moss that grows in alkali soil. There's moss that grows in the sun and the shade. You know what I mean? There's mosses for every condition. So there there are some things you can do to try and um, you know eliminate moss or. Just accept that you've got moss. I mean, there's, I'm just sort of taking a quick look here because I don't trust some of these websites that are coming up. <laughs> Sorry. Um, getting rid of moss. I mean, it's baking soda and dish soap and water. Of course, you have to rake out the moss to start. So you can't just cover that moss with soil and hope that grass seed will grow. You will need to actually get that moss out of there. Um, and then put your triple mix down and do everything in your power to um, provide an environment that will be a good environment for the, for the grass. Now, you might say, and this came up with an earlier email, was maybe it's more trouble than it's worth to try and grow grass in such a shady location. Maybe we need to just concentrate on a shade-tolerant ground cover to grow in that area. Uh, because, as you know, grass as we know it, turf, lawn grasses, Love the sun. I mean, that's the prairies. That's, you know, big sky country, lots of air, lots of sun, lots of open and lots of great grass. But uh, you get it into the low, um, you know, no air movement, low sun levels, um, often moist areas and grass is not happy.
1: All righty. Uh, we have uh, the next segment coming up, our final segment, but I'm going to almost guarantee to Bob and uh, Gabrielle uh, waiting online there that you're going to get your question through to Charlie in, in moments. Just hang with us here on Zoomer Radio. It's the Garden Show. We'll continue in a moment.
0: Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio.
1: Well, Charlie, uh, Bob's been very patiently waiting on that line from Scarborough, so let's get him on the air. Good morning, Bob.
4: Good morning. You are are so popular with uh, resolving all the plant problems that I phoned in four days ago, and I just got through now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I <laughs> think you, you've had food. <laughs> anyway,
4: my problem is a rhododendron. I have one, and uh, I'd phoned in earlier uh, a few or a few months ago with a yellow leaf, and uh, you resolved the problem by acidifying the soil more. But now it's got some little red dots on it, and I went to the nursery and explained it to them, and they said, "Cut the leaves off because it's a virus, and it'll spread and kill your plant." So anyway, I said, you've got anything to spray on that? And they said, no, just dig the roto up. I mean, that's easy for them to say. They used to be $39, now they're 69 right? <laughs> yeah, I
2: was going to say. So little red spots on the leaves.
4: Yeah, sort of a reddish rust.
2: Hmm. Uh, I might get you to um, send me a photograph if you can. Hold yeah. on, I'm, just, I'm looking quickly. Cause that, that's a new one on me. Um, they said it was a virus. Hmm. Uh le-
4: they didn't know the how thing. to cure it or what to do with it.
2: Yeah, well, you know what? It's easy to say that, but, you know, it probably isn't. I mean, there are definitely many, many um, diseases that cause leaf spots. Um, it could be a bacterial leaf spot. It could be a fungal leaf spot. Um, hold on, I'm just looking here quickly. That's why it's probably better if you can send me a photograph. Okay, where would I
1: send it, then? Okay, I'll give you the uh, address right now, Bob, if you've got a pencil to mark it I down. I have, yes. All righty. It's c.dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com.
4: don't want to take your time, but run that
1: by through me. I'm old. Sure, no, that's okay. No, C, <laughs> C, as in Charlie, c.dobbin, <laughs> yeah. yep. D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com dot com, and that'll get through to her, okay? Media, okay, great. You got it. uh, Okay, thank you for calling, Bob, and I hope uh, we'll get that solution for you.
2: Yeah, Um, see, Bob, is it more of a close-up, a photograph you can take, like, um, preferably with a, um, you know, good focus on the camera, the better, then I can tell better, so top of leaf and bottom of leaf, and then maybe three pictures, one standing back.
1: Very good, okay. Thank you. Time enough for uh, Gabrielle to get on the line here to uh, fire a question at you. Good morning, Gabrielle.
3: Yes, good morning. Uh, I finally got through. Sometimes I don't, and then I get disconnected. I'm a coffee lover, and I was wondering if I could take the grounds of my coffee and distribute them among my evergreens. Sure. We also have raccoons in the neighborhood. In fact, sometimes my neighbors don't throw out the the you know the like the food. I've I've seen uh, the raccoon taking a nap in their bins. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I live in Toronto. Yes, I was going to say, you're clearly calling from Toronto. Uh, <clears throat> coffee? Ground. Um, you know, because yeah, I like
2: to drip coffee. Oh, yeah. No, perfect. Not a problem at all. I mean, if you, I, I think the challenge with something like coffee grinds, you can definitely distribute them amongst your evergreens. Okay. Uh, you're in Toronto. I don't know how many evergreens you have. but I have quite
3: a few of them. I have fall sweeping cypress. In fact, I keep telling the na- people, the house does exist. Now you don't even see the house anymore. Oh, my front is 25 feet only. Three and a half is uh, driveway, Mitchell drive, and the other little bit is uh, the other neighbor. Well, They've so, done really well because my mother yes. taught me, you know, um, like fertilize and things like that. But sure. a lot of my evergreens didn't make it because I'm on a slope.
2: I see. So I well,
3: couldn't water them very well. Right. Well, the
2: coffee grinds add organic matter. And organic okay. matter is great because organic matter adds, well, organic matter supports microorganisms like life. It supports yeah. life in the soil, which is a good thing. All of our plants do better when there's, the, the soil is alive. So I was just going to say, nothing wrong with coffee grounds on the surface of the soil or dug in very lightly around your evergreens. But um, remember that depending on how much coffee you drink, you don't want to end up with a foot of coffee grounds at the base of your trees. You know, it's one of those, everything is fine in moderation. So even if it's any one plant, getting some coffee grounds sprinkled around the base every week or so, but don't go to the same trees every day, day after day, because that will just be too much.
1: Okay, good stuff. All righty. Um, uh, one little uh, email I can get to here, I think in the remaining time, from Lucia, who says, A few weeks ago I asked you about a method to control the caterpillars attacking my trees in Sudbury. You had suggested BT. I I can't find this product anywhere. Any suggestions where I can locate it?
2: Mm-hmm. B-T. B as in Bob, T as in Tom is short
3: mm-hmm.
2: for an insecticide called Bacillus. Thurigiensis. Wow. Say that fast. In <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Bacillus thurigiensis is a bacteria that we spray onto plants that are susceptible to things like gypsy moths and um, tent caterpillars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This bacteria does not hurt anything at all except those caterpillars. Uh, now, I'm, I'm interested that she says she has not been able to find it anywhere because when I Googled, Bt or Bacillus thuringiensis. I just came up with Home Depot, wow. Canadian Tire, Lowe's, uh, Home Hardware, and bottom line, it's you can get it on Amazon. So I it, it comes as a drive as a powder. It's a, just a you know dehydrated mm-hmm. um, dormant bacteria. It does have a date on it. It's a dated item because it will be alive once you add water to it, and you will spray as per directions. So, um, yeah, and in Sudbury, I'm sure you've got at least a Canadian Tire and, and or a Home Depot or a Lowe's or something. So just check online. It's not so easy to go into any stores right now, but I believe curbside pickup is available or certainly ordering just straight online, and you should be able to get that. And you will want that on hand as soon as you start seeing those caterpillars. Now, in your case, it's probably still kind of wintry up in Sudbury, but within the next month to six weeks, you're going to want this BT in your arsenal.
1: Excellent. I'm glancing at the clock, and I can't believe we're out of time. Whoa! To
2: you you're right. I didn't even glance. Zoom.
1: <laughs> well, there you go, oh, Charlie. You continue thanks. to have a, a great time out there at Prince Edward County. And uh, continue getting at Elliot to work, you know, <laughs> hooking him up to all sorts of stuff there.
2: <laughs> I know. The poor guy, but he's actually learning a lot. Uh, you know he's yeah. looking at me with very pained expressions when I say, "So today we're going to shovel and move five yards of soil." He's like, "What?" I'm going, "It's going to be fine, honey. Don't worry. It's going to be
1: fine." And we better uh, move it. We're out of time. Literally. Yeah,
2: a quick note just to everybody: If the forsythia is blooming, the yellow the yellow shrub is blooming in your yard, get your corn gluten fertilizer out. Control the crabgrass that's going to start growing in your lawns right away. Thanks, Frankie. Love you. Thanks, Carlos. See you all again
0: next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.